Welcome to the Intern Whisperer Live, the show all about internships and how to survive them. This is Val. This is Isabella. And this is Gerard. On our show this evening is Jared Calake, professor and social entrepreneur coordinator here at Valencia College and an entrepreneur as a leadership and change engineer. Uh, just as a note, you can now call us live on air, and the phone number for that is 407-582-2906. Uh, you can also chat through us live on the Intern Pursuit Facebook Live chat. Hope to hear from you today. And also coming up this episode of the Intern Whisperer Live, we're going to talk about some entrepreneur stories, great leaders, and intern stories. So how can people get in touch with us? Through our social pipes. We have Facebook. LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for Pivot Business Consulting. So search for us there. It's Pivot Biz Consult. You can also find us Intern Pursuit on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can find our game, Intern Pursuit Game, on Facebook and Twitter. You can listen to us live on mixlr.com forward slash Valencia College Radio and then follow Intern Pursuit. We really want to boost those live listeners. And you can watch us live on our Intern Pursuit Facebook page, which is coming up here soon. So you can call us, and we sure hope Aunt Darlene calls us. <laughs> but I'm first, let's get to our first sponsor, Florida Patients Association. Florida Patients Association, whose mission is to bring support and services to patients in the state of Florida. If you have not received the help and support you need from an injury in the healthcare industry, you can contact Florida Patients Association for guidance on your rights. Thank you, Florida Patients Association, for sponsoring the Intern Whisperer Live. Right. So we're back. Those were fun times that we just had. So thank you guys. You stayed really calm and cool during the whole thing. So <laughs> thank that's you. Good. Yeah. I, I would like to play poker with um, Jerron because he's just like, no, f there's no fear in his eyes. He's just like center going. Years oh, yeah. of practice. <laughs> yeah. He's just totally got it under control. Okay. So our guest today is Jared Kellake. And he is a graduate from Valencia College. He's also a professor here. And he has all of these great degrees. So I'm going to introduce him by sharing with people. He came from the University of North Florida with a degree in business management and marketing, a master's in higher education from Florida State University, go Knowles, and a second master's and a PhD from Antioch University in leadership and change. And one of the things that he is so extremely passionate about is social entrepreneurship. And he was... I met Jared through Rollins College. That's actually where we didn't have that in the show notes. I'm just adding it. Um, <laughs> we met from Rollins College, and uh, I always thought you went to Rollins College, too. So that was surprising to me when you shared all of yeah. your, your educational institutions. Yeah. Well, yeah, thank you so much for inviting me on the show, and, and uh, I'm really excited to get to spend some time with you guys uh, talking about social entrepreneurship and leaders and all the rest of it. But yeah, actually, I, I didn't uh, attend Rollins, uh, although I did work there for 
a number of years. Yeah. And, and, and that Rollins has a, a very special place in my heart and will always. Yeah, and you were very active in social issues there on that campus, too. I remember that. I was, yes, yes. I, I worked in um, student affairs administration uh, as, as one of the assistant directors of an office there uh, focused on leadership and involvement. Mm-hmm. And uh, during my time there, um, I got to work with the radio station, uh, WPRK 91.5. Guys, he has radio um, experience. We were just talking about that. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Four, yeah. four years I served as the general manager of the radio uh, there. It was an amazing time. Um, and then I also oversaw the student activities board and, mm-hmm. and got involved in service learning and, and all kinds of really fun stuff uh, while I was there. I really enjoyed my time. Uh, I probably would still be there, uh, but I wanted to get uh, I wanted to get my doctorate. So yeah, um, I I did both worked full time and and was pursuing my doctorate for a period of time, and then it came time to dissertation and um, where you just basically write a lot and and yeah. y- you know that well, Isabella, um, and uh, I couldn't do it and and work full time uh, in, in in the confines of that. So. That's when I uh, stepped away from Rollins, and uh, and then one thing led to another. Three years or so later, I ended up um, coming to Valencia. Yeah, that's a really nice story. So explain to our listeners, what is social entrepreneurship, and how is it really different from entrepreneurship? Because I know something that we'll talk about a little bit later that you do here on the campus, and this is something I know that's near and dear to your heart. I saw it at Rollins. I see it here. Yeah, so social entrepreneurship is is a type of entrepreneurship that um, both creates social value and wealth. So a traditional enterprise or a traditional company um, or traditional entrepreneurship, the main goal is to create uh, wealth, mm-hmm. wealth creation. And so you, you make money, right? Mm-hmm. That's why most people go in to become entrepreneurs uh, is, to, is to make money. Social entrepreneurship... Um, the making money is is also a huge component of it, but in addition to that, um, you we a social entrepreneur will also strive to create social value, and so uh, social entrepreneurs, unlike traditional entrepreneurs, which have the main goal and and really the most of the time the singular goal of creating wealth and money and making money, social entrepreneurs have the dual the dual role or the dual goal of creating wealth, making money, and also improving society. So they're like a B Corp, right? Yes. Yeah, many B Corps are, are social enterprises. And so a lot of our listeners may not know what a B Corp is, and that's honestly one of the things that perhaps I know, typically it's a lawyer that would explain this. Uh, I'm not a lawyer, but you might be able to explain this better. Yes, well, I am not a lawyer, <laughs> yeah. um, but so, but I can, I can give it a shot, it's and then we'll see. It's a for-profit business that has the benefits of... A nonprofit status is that it? So it depends on so alt, so overall a B corp or a benefit corporation is right. a corporation that's oftentimes for profit, but then also has a uh, social value component. Mm-hmm. And and when I talk about social value creation, what I'm really talking about is the creation and forward progress of society. Um, either socially in terms of people or planet, mm-hmm. uh, and oftentimes both. So a B Corp overall uh, is a corporation that also benefits society, mm-hmm. and that's where the benefit corporation or B Corp. Now, where where it gets a little bit more confusing, if you're still with us at this point, um, is that in each state within the United States, B Corp may mean different things. Yeah. So what does it mean in Florida? So in Florida, um, there is a B Corp certification 
from a nonprofit organization called B Corp or B Labs, B Corp Labs. Um, and they give a, a nonprofit, for-profit, or a hybrid organization a certification um, that they're a B Corp. Under, that's one part of it. Under Florida law, you can actually register as a B Corp in the state of Florida, mm-hmm. um, and you will be officially recognized as a B Corp. Currently, there is not very much difference between Florida's take on the B Corp and a traditional limited liability corporation. Mm. Um, however, um, we were one of the first states in, in the country to, uh, Florida that is, uh, to get a B Corp designation uh, under the tax code. Um, and in fact, in t- 2012, Clean the World here, that's based here in Orlando, became Florida's first B Corp. Hmm. Do you know how much, I, this is a random question too, because I'm, I'm debating on if I should make Interim Pursuit a B Corp. And I know that I, technically I should go and ask an attorney. But um, do you know how much it costs to get that certification? Uh, the the certification I do not know. Um, it's a pretty around. lengthy process. That is from the nonprofit um, B Labs, um, mm-hmm. and so you you would need to talk with them about that. That's not a tax status. Um, it has nothing to do with the the Florida government. Yeah, it would it would just be the certification. Um, Right now, under under the Florida tax system, there isn't, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of advantages specifically to becoming a B Corp, from what I understand, versus a limited liability corporation mm-hmm. yeah. in the state. Um, at this point, there are states, there are some states that give tax incentives um, and, uh, and other benefits to be registered B Corps in their state. Florida is just a little bit behind the eight ball on that. Mm. Unfortunate, yeah. And so I know that there's been some confusion about that. So, but thank you for explaining that because I'm, I helped me to understand it better. Um, it sounds like when, when one thinks about it is, well, should I do that? Definitely consult with an attorney is what yes. we would always tell everybody, right? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yes. Because you they're the ones that can guide let that. Let the or experts an be the experts. Yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely. That's not us. So nobody <laughs> should take what we're saying here as... That's how you do it. Yeah. Okay. So that was really helpful. Um, and I'm really glad that you talked about Clean the World. That's a really great example of um, a for-profit business that does do good work. I know that Sean, um, he does a phenomenal job. He's connected with hotels. He goes and collects all of those bars of soap. They get repurposed, and then they're distributed, pack, repackaged, and distributed to Third world countries and homeless shelters, I believe, right here? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so for folks that are not familiar, uh, Clean the World started, um, I believe, in 2009 by a gentleman named Sean Seipler. Uh, Valencia is a big, big fan of his work. He's a big fan of our, our work, hopefully, um, in that he's, he's helped us out and served as a guest lecturer in a couple of our courses and, and also um, came on campus and did a focus group with us when we first oh, nice. started the social entrepreneurship program here at Valencia. Um, and and so Sean was traveling a lot for work. He was a sales salesman, and he uh, was sitting in his hotel one day and realized that um, he was one, he realized that there must be a place that the soaps and shampoos go when he la- when he leaves the hotel. Um, and so he called down to the front desk, and they said, "Yeah, they go to the garbage, and they just oh, throw wow. them all away." <laughs> and so. What he then realized was that uh, most of the, if you open a, uh, a bar of soap and you, you know, use it one time, 
uh, when you leave the room, they have to throw that away. Mm-hmm. Um, and same with the shampoos and you know, conditioners and all those kind of things. And so he said, wow, that's, that's a really huge waste. I wonder if there's a way to recycle those items mm-hmm. uh, instead of just throwing them away. Um, around the same time, as I understand it, his, his wife was reading uh, about mortality rates in children under five worldwide. And, um, and she happened to mention to him that, it, it, that they were really high. Mm-hmm. And, and two of the main reasons why they're, why they're high is lack of sanitation and diseases that come from la- the lack of sanitation, the lack of having uh, soaps and shampoos and all those kinds of things. And so he came up with Clean the World. And so what they do is they work with the hospitality industry to recycle um, used soaps and shampoos and conditioners and so forth. And then, just as you say, they, they um, donate them to the homeless in the United States and around and then also they, they send them off to um, all, different con- all different types of countries. And they've had something like a 20% decrease in um, child death under five worldwide. Wow. Just in that time that they've been around. So, I mean, they're just doing really amazing stuff. Have you guys ever heard of Clean the World? We actually talked about it on a previous podcast. Oh, that was mm-hmm. the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And when we were talking about social entrepreneurship in terms of, uh, mm-hmm. I think we were specifically talking about in terms of environment. Oh, um, cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Very good, back very around. good. But prior to that, had you ever heard of it? Did I they had, talk I had about not. it at campus? I yeah, not. no, I had not. They're from but. UCF. Oh, got gotcha. you. Yeah. 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 Go Knights, right? Yeah, Go, go Knights. Knights. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nicely done. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and then the other one that I think is a, a I think he's, I think he's a B Corp. I think it is uh, Ben Hoyer's with Credo Coffee. Yeah, I, I, I believe they are as well. Yeah, I think, yeah. That, I think they are. I think they are as well. Yeah, so Credo Coffee, just so you know, um, they distribute coffee. They sell it. They have coffee uh, cafes that people can go and purchase coffee, but it's a unique model. People pay. There's suggested retail amounts that people can pay, and people can, uh, consumers can come and pay that amount, or they can pay less, you know. But they are supporting um, coffee that is ground or produced around the world and then brought over here. And so they're helping with microfinancing and, I guess, uh, micro-business with small um, mm-hmm. third-world b- growers. Yeah, so they actually do um, direct trade coffee. Mm. And so they, so uh, Ben tells a story. Ben Hoyer, who's the, the owner. Um, founder and owner of Downtown Credo, he tells a story of when he basically first got into the coffee business. He, was, he just flew to um, a Latin American country with, with a friend who was involved in the coffee business, and they took a truck into the mountains, and they met with farmers. Um, and, uh, and that's basically how they started and how they continue to do, do work. And so they pay the farmers a much, you know, a fair wage. Mm-hmm. Um, and they try to decrease as many middle people as possible because the coffee industry, there's the, the farmers and then there's the, the, you know, the people that harvest it and then the people that process it, and then the people that send, ship it, then the people that roast it, then the people that, you know, and there's all these people. And, and so, uh, the margins get decreased at each step, and so yeah. the farmer gets paid very little traditionally for the 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 end result mm-hmm. um, because they get paid at the very you know the very beginning um, of that chain, and by the time they get their share, it's not there's barely anything there, relatively speaking. No, oh, that's sad. Um, and yeah, so, but yeah. I'm really glad to hear that he's changing that dynamic. So that's an interesting um, and real life story real life company that's actually bringing positive change. 
Um, so let's talk about your podcast. You have a podcast. I do. Yes. I have the Teaching Change podcast. Um, you can find it at www.teachingchangepodcast.com. Um, the, uh, the podcast is really a labor of love. Um, uh, one, of the, one of the things when I first came to Valencia uh, and got involved in the conversation about social entrepreneurship, um, I really felt that social entrepreneurship and Valencia would be a, a, an amazing pair because Valencia has, is, uh, serves as a beacon of hope for so many people in the Central Florida community and beyond mm -hmm. and has done such amazing work um, ever since its founding back in the 60s. And uh, one of the things that I, I, I really saw as an opportunity was was uh, that Valencia was lacking was a social entrepreneurship program. And for those of you that are, that are listening, um, social entrepreneurship as a field has existed probably since the dawn of, of man and woman uh, mm -hmm. kind. Um, but the label of it really originated in probably the late 70s, early 80s. Mm -hmm. um, and there's some debate about who exactly you know, coined the term and, and so forth, right? Um, I, probably a lot of people coined it, but one of the people that, that really put it on the map was a gentleman named Bill Drayton, uh, and he founded the organization Ashoka. Um, and Ashoka is a, an international foundation that um, strives to work with social entrepreneurs uh, around the world and not only highlight but also amplify their impact. Um, and he started that organization in the 1980s mm -hmm. um, and has been working in that organization ever since. Um, Ashoka has an Ashoka U designation, which is the, the Ashoka, or branch rather, that is Ashoka um, University, or kind of stands for university. And their, their goal in that particular branch of the organization is to help sow the seeds of social entrepreneurship education, social innovation uh, education in higher, in higher ed. Mm, and nice. um, so in the 90s, uh, a gentleman named Gregory Dees, and this is way more than you all need to know, but I'm a professor, so um, bear with me. So Gregory Dees, a, a fantastic gentleman at Duke University, started teaching social entrepreneurship. He was really the first person in the late 90s uh, or early 90s. I'm not really sure exactly when. But he was really the first person that started teaching it. Um, from there, really played in, in the Ivy Leagues. The Ivy Leagues had social entrepreneurship education, um, and, and then it went to the big universities. Um, then it went to the liberal arts institutions, uh, which is where I was introduced to it when I was working mm -hmm. at Rollins College. Mm -hmm. Um, I was introduced uh, to social entrepreneurship, the idea that you can create a business and use business to not only make money, but help the world. Mm -hmm. And that was, as, a, as an undergrad business major who had left business because of what, what I perceived to be the kind of cutthroat nature and the slash and burn tactics that, that when I was doing internships, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, that I witnessed, um, and that made me want to go into education, um, specifically higher education, uh, when I found social entrepreneurship, it really married it, it, um, married two of my fan, two of my things that I am um, fanatically obsessed with, which is which is positive social growth for the world, making the world a better place, and business. Yep. Um, and so that's that's an amazing thing. It played around in the in the uh, Ivy Leagues, the liberal arts, the big universities, and now finally it's come to community colleges. Um, and Valencia, in, in the last three years, we've become, on a, we've had the, the honor and the privilege to become uh, one of few institutions uh, kind of leading the way in, in social entrepreneurship education at the community college level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he had a competition. I know I talked about this uh, 
several months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I went in and I was able to teach Perfecting Your Pitch. Uh, he had students that uh, put together a concept and then they got to go pitch it before so- social entrepreneur experts. And there was actually cash money associated with that. There was, yeah. So uh, one of the things I do here at the college... Um, oh, so going back, I'm sorry. I apologize. I got off track. So the, the Teaching Change podcast is a way to amplify the work that we're doing here at Valencia within social entrepreneurship education and innovation and also to spread the word of what it is in general. Nice. And so, uh, you know, what, what better way to uh, share a message than in a new, a new form, a new medium... Uh, podcasting, radio, etc. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's what we're doing. Um, one of the things I do here at Valencia is um, not only do I teach courses uh, on social entrepreneurship and, and other classes, I also uh, advise or co-advise rather the social entrepreneurship club, which is a, a club made made up about of about thirty students. And um, this last this previous spring, we had the inaugural social enterprise pitch competition, mm-hmm. in which uh, teams from across Valencia. Were able to enter into the into um, the competition completely free, uh, and they had to pitch their social enterprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had three minutes to do it. We we uh, hosted several workshops. Uh, you were, as you mentioned, one of the workshop uh, facilitators for that. And thank you for doing that um, to make sure that they were ready and they were prepared to um, present their ideas. And then and then we had um, excellent judges from the community. Uh, all social, local social entrepreneurs, fantastic folks, come in and, and judge the pitches. Mm-hmm. You have a question, I think. Well, I just wanted to clarify for our listeners, where can we find your Teaching Change podcast? Sure, yeah. It would just be at teachingchangepodcast.com. Um, it's also wherever you would get your podcast. So like so iTunes? iTunes on okay. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all of those fantastic places. You could also follow uh, Teaching Change at Teaching Change uh, on Instagram, Facebook, all of that kind of good stuff too. Mm-hmm. Twitter, yeah. all your socials. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. that's important. So, and the winner of that, I'd like to give a, a, a brief shout out is uh, a woman named uh, Jasmine uh, Diaz. Who she was a guest on she our was show recently. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. one of the prizes. Yeah, that was, being, so exactly. Yeah. That was one of one of her prizes. Uh, started Queens for Queens, and obviously your listeners are well well versed in and kind of what she's doing and what she's about. And so, um, yeah, it was really a really great first inaugural winner. And, um, this is going to become a signature program that we're, that the social entrepreneurship club will host every spring. So we'll do it again this, this upcoming spring. And we're looking to have even more teams, um, participate. So Mm. we're, we're pretty excited about it. Um, She won money guys, real money. She (laughs) did. Yeah. 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 She did. She won real cash money. And then, um, uh, uh, what, as you were one of the work, workshop facilitators, uh, also Deanna Calake, who is also uh, my partner and, and wife in life, and uh, she was one of the facilitators as well, and both of you were very gracious and offered uh, fantastic services, packaged services to, uh, to Jasmine as part of the, part of the winning. So yeah. um, she's off and running, and uh, it's best of luck to her. And it's she's really awesome. changing the world. Absolutely. She is doing that. I and I that. did have a question. I don't know if we touched upon it earlier, but... Um, what sparked your desire for seeing social change? Yeah, so um, probably, I mean, and probably a lot of things. Um, I mean, I, I one of the things that I never really understood was why people were treated differently because of um, arbitrary reasons, whether it be skin color, eye color, height, size, whatever. It never really made much sense to me. Um, 
And so uh, from a very, very young age, I also lived in a very, um, I grew up in Connecticut and my particular neighborhood um, was pretty diverse. Um, my best friend was Portuguese. Um, I, I am half Czechoslovakian, half Italian. Um, and I just enjoyed and appreciated living and, and knowing other people uh, that were from different walks of life. Um, I didn't know that that was different than other people, there, that there was people that were, grew up not in those kind of environments. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I moved to Florida uh, for high school, uh, it was really the first time I I'd, I'd, I'd truly understood um, difference. Uh, and and it was it was unfortunately because of there was racial tensions in my middle school and um, you know the the fact that I had never really confronted um, racism or even the idea that I was a white heterosexual male until at least high school is a testament to how privileged I had been because um, I wasn't something I needed to deal with um, so. That all of that is probably the root of my social activism. Um, when I got into college, uh, things started becoming more pronounced. I happened to have um, some really good friends that were gay, um, and this is back in the uh, early two thousands. And they were not necessarily treated that well on on some of the campuses I had been on, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't think that was appropriate. And so I got involved in um, gay and the, the basically the GLBT. Um, it was GLBT, now GLBTQ and, and some other letters. Um, but I got involved in the kind of the movement for gay rights at, uh, at one of my undergraduate institutions, the University of North Florida. Um, and then just kind of went on from there. Um, so my activism has always been kind of uh, around. When I got to Rollins um, is when it really kind of blossomed because then I had an opportunity to help students get involved in service learning, which is the idea of of learning inside the classroom and then leaving the classroom to go actually serve in the community. Uh, and the service in the community complements what you're learning in the classroom. And so I got to teach pretty early on, I got to teach a class on hunger and homelessness. And in the class we researched uh, and we learned about hunger and homelessness um, through textbooks. And then uh, the other half of the class, we went out into the field and worked in, in soup kitchens and, and community centers and so forth and actually met the people you know, that, that we're reading about in the textbooks. And from that experience, I saw the students. And uh, I mean, just, you know, in, a, in, a course, it, in a course that you know, only lasts a few weeks, the, the, the transformation in their worldview and the transformation of my worldview was so, so dramatic. There's no looking back from that point. Um, so... Uh, I believe that we're all here to do something, and I believe oh, yeah. that we're all here to do something good. Um, unfortunately, I don't think many people find out what that really is. For me, it's to leave the world a little better than what, the way I found it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and most selfishly, that's for my own my own children. I mean, I've got three three young kids: um, Uriah, Jack, who is nine; uh, Raleigh, Michael, who is seven; and Valen, Flora, who is uh, four, just turned four. And I want I want to make sure that they grow up in a world that's a little bit better than the world that that I grew up in, um, and and you know and then et cetera et cetera. And so I think that's our that's our calling as yeah. humans. I would agree. I think it's to uh, to serve to serve others. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Good questions, guys. Oh, yeah, no problem. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Yeah. And I mean, and, and social entrepreneurship, the beautiful thing about that is, is that gone are the days where, you know, so when I was first at Rollins, there was really, what I observed about the students was really that there was, there was two paths. There were the students, and, and Rollins is not a, not a cheap institution. For the most part, it's pretty expensive to go. It's actually just ranked, uh, I think, number one in the state as far as the, the largest price tag. It's a fantastic institution, but there's, it costs some money being mm-hmm. a private liberal arts college. Um, and what I saw in the students was really there's two pathways. There was a pathway for the students that wanted to do good in the world, and then there was a pathway for students that wanted to do well in the world. And they were, not, and they were mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is there was a students that wanted to do good, uh, had to basically then choose that, and then they would not receive the bounties of... of a high-paying job, yeah, like uh, working in a successful non-profit. career. <laughs> yeah, it was it was philanthropic. It was uh, it was nonprofits, etc. You basically lived in in squalor in some cases, or you went and did well for yourself, and you made a lot of money, but you didn't you weren't concerned about society, or you weren't concerned about the environment. Maybe later on in life, when you made a bunch of money, you can then give back and become a you know great philanthropist. But that was really the two the two roads that I saw my students struggling with when I was at Rollins early on. Um, And then when I saw the introduction of the social entrepreneurship program at Rollins, um, and I saw that those two roads were no longer mutually exclusive, it was a game. It was an absolute game changer for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Because now the students that would ordinarily have had to pick one of those, that one of those paths and it's a, it would have been a difficult path uh, for them to choose. um, Now they didn't have to, they Mm -hmm. could still, make money and do well uh, for themselves, their family, et cetera, and also at the same time do good. Mm-hmm. And it could help society and make money, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and Sean and, and Sean Seipler and, and Ben Hoyer are great examples of that. You mm-hmm. know, both, both, both gentlemen have families. They've got, you know, they've, they, they live uh, a good life, and they're doing really amazing stuff in the community. Mm-hmm. For someone who is unaware about like the avenues that you can take in social entrepreneurship, what is a good way to get started? Like, How can people learn the first steps that they want to take to become more knowledgeable or even make a career path out of this type of field? Yeah, so selfishly, first listen to Teaching Change, okay. uh, the podcast. That's um, not selfish. That's just no, wisdom. That's, yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So that would be the first way to start uh-huh. to start doing it. Um, the other way is just, just to, um, I mean, if you're in a position to be able to, to, to donate some of your time and do some community service, uh, visit Clean the World or visit Downtown Credo um, or Feeding Children Anywhere, Everywhere, uh, which is another um, local social enterprise, um, and, and start talking to folks. Um, also, there's tons of books on Amazon and tons of books at your local library on social entrepreneurship. Uh, Google and I, it. I Google it. Find out some stuff like the, about that. There's also conferences you can go to. The Shoka. Uh, is Shoka conferences and then other local conferences. Um, or you can come to Valencia and take the social entrepreneurship course, uh, GEB 1155. Yeah, and, and then uh, you can meet Jared. <laughs> yep, and, and when you come to meet me uh, and, and you uh, become one of my students, you'll call me Dr. K uh, instead of Jared, but uh, I'd be <laughs> excited to, to have you in my class, yeah. Those yeah. are all, all If you enjoyed ways. a whole hour of this, you'll yeah. enjoy a whole semester. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. That well, is if you true. don't enjoy this, you, well, you still enjoy the, the semester. Yeah. yeah. He's a pretty good guy. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think we covered that one. I want to talk about great leaders. Who are the leaders that have influenced your life? Wow. Yeah. So 
I mean, I would, I would have to say, I mean, there's, there's so many, nothing for me, nothing happens in a vacuum. Right. And so there's tons of leaders that have influenced me. Um, I would, I would think some of, some of the, the leaders that have directly impacted my pathway, um, even though they, they have no idea they did. And, they, and, and many of them weren't even alive when I was born. Um, first would be Horace Mann. He's actually the very first um, president of Antioch College, which I graduated um, with my master's and my PhD from Antioch University, uh, which was the outgrowth of um, Antioch College. And why he's one of my one of my favorite leaders, he was an educational philosopher and a bunch of other things. He was also a politician for a period of time uh, before he became the first president of Antioch College, which is in Yellow Springs, Ohio. Um, very progressive uh, liberal arts institution. And he is famously um, quoted for saying, be ashamed to die before you have won some victory for humanity. Mm. Uh, and so I try to emulate that uh, and all I do. And, um, so he would definitely be one of my, one of my favorite leaders. Uh, also Amelia Earhart, uh, and simply because when, even today, I just read an article just the other day that, that one of the airlines, one of the major airlines had their very first pilot and co-pilot pilot be African-American women. Hmm. There was the very first flight that had ever been piloted and co-piloted by an African by African-American women that's amazing in this day and age. And they they it, it was it was news I mean it was news I, and I forget the airline um, but it, it just happened like within the last six months wow um, and so to think you know think back to when Amelia Earhart was flying I mean the the tremendous uphill battle that must have been for mm-hmm. her to even get into a plane let alone fly it I mean it's amazing yeah that's a lot of bravery there yeah a lot absolutely. of courage and then I think my I think my last one I, I like I like threes so um, I think the last one would be Jimi Hendrix, um, not only what he did with music but with what he did in general just his life, um, and he he has one of my very favorite quote. He said, "When the power of love uh, becomes greater than the love of power, the world will know peace." Oh, that's a nice one. Is that so, a song too? It is not. No, it's no. just a quote. Yeah, when when the, wow. when the power of love overcomes the the love of power, the world will know peace. Yeah. That's really good. It is a great quote. And those two women were Tara Wright and Mallory Kay for Alaska Airlines. Oh, fantastic. Thank you, sir. No problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. That's yeah. interesting. And it was literally like the, just a couple of weeks ago or so. Or so yeah, right? it was May. Yeah, yeah May. Yeah, yep, so that, May. Last so. month. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, you would, you would. I mean, it's just amazing, right? You, you would, you would have, no, you would have no idea, right? Yeah. We would, we would think that that should have happened decades ago, right? And in reality, it's you know two or three weeks ago. Yeah. But the best response is it's never too late either. That's yeah. right. That's mm-hmm. right. We're we are we are moving very slowly oh. forward. We do have some listeners. Yay! There's Diana. Hello, Diana. <laughs> I know she's listening in on her drive home. She told me that's what she does. Nice. Hello, yeah. Diana. How are you? She is also a Rollins girl and a Valencia student. Oh, too. very she nice. Graduated from Valencia, moved over to Rollins. Oh, very cool. Very yeah. cool. That's exciting. So let's talk about internships. You said that you were an intern, mm-hmm. but you've also been on the employer side of it. And we use this hashtag called what I learned. So there's hashtag student what I learned and hashtag employer what I learned. I'm sure that they were very different experiences for you. Yes, yes. So I've I've interned maybe 
five or six times in my life. Mm. Um, my very first intern was actually for one of my from one of my college professors. He had a consulting business, and um, myself and my partner we were working on a project for the class. And at the end of the project, he asked us to serve as interns for him over the summer. Um, and and his consulting business was specifically working with expats that were getting ready to uh, and expats are expatriates. They um, are folks that work in the United States or live in the United States, but then they are sent by their companies overseas. Mm-hmm. And they call them expats. And there's a there's a very high rate of failure. That is, most expats stay in a international context for a very short amount of time before they have to come back. They just kind of flake out. They don't they don't enjoy it, etc. And so his company, what he was doing was he was advising in consulting organizations and companies on how to increase the success of an expat going abroad and being successful. Because mm-hmm. as you can imagine, it would it costs a lot of money for a company to send someone to yeah, another country and set up an all new life. And you know, and if they only stay a year, then that could be money lost. And so, um, so we, so I worked with him um, on some research projects and so forth. What I what I learned as an intern with him. Um, is that professors are human beings and um, they do all the things that human beings do. Um, up until that point, I'd always kind of viewed my professors like on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. And I, and it was almost like when you're at an elementary school mm-hmm. and, and you see your teacher for the first time in the grocery store. Oh my God, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and yeah. it's like, a, it's such a jarring such a jarring like you have experience. a life outside the classroom? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm <laughs> and, not kidding. I, I was a public classroom teacher too. And students would come up and go, you eat to yeah. grocery shop? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Really? Well, yeah. you don't live at the school? Yeah. You know? um, yeah. I, I mean, I remember it distinctively. I think I was in third grade, and we went, uh, and again, this is in Connecticut, and my, uh, I went with my mother to the grocery store. I think I, was, I think I was sick that day. I think it was a school day, and I saw my third grade teacher in the grocery store, and she was shopping. It just blew me away. One, it blew me away because why wasn't she at school? Uh, and then two, I got really nervous because she saw me and I wasn't at school. <laughs> you know, luckily, I was with my mother. But like, I just remember, I remember even to this day that it was a really drawing experience. So when I when I interned with my my professor, who I was relatively close with, um, when I started working with him, I it, it, all the um, the glamour of professorship kind of went away a little bit. But yet, um, you're a professor. Yes. Yeah. It's crazy. It's a crazy world. Yeah, you were called to do it. Still. Yes, so I so I learned I learned that people are people. That human beings are human beings, and regardless, you know, we all have the same the same hopes and aspirations to yes. live a good life and to be happy. And you know, we have you know we all have irrational fears. He happened he happened to be afraid of cats, like huh. actually afraid of cats. And so we went to uh, we were going to a, we went to a conference. It was in Jacksonville, so it wasn't very far. But as we were walking into the hotel, a cat jumped out, and he screamed louder than I'd ever heard anyone scream in my <laughs> life. And he was a pretty burly, big guy, um, and so those make for the best stories. It was very comedic, and he's like, "Don't tell anyone that happened." <laughs> that was before Facebook filming. It was before, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now he would have had a really tough time, but yeah. But then it was just me and uh, my colleague, who is one of my, you know, we were both I think seniors at the time. Uh, and so we didn't dare say anything because uh, we had still two two more classes with this professor. So we didn't dare say anything. But if Facebook and and Twitter Instagram. and Instagram, yeah, he it would have it would have been all over the place. Yeah, it sure enough would. 
Well, that's a good story. So now yeah. on the employer side, what did you learn from working with students now as the employer? So, yeah. So it is, I think the, uh, the biggest thing I learned is it's a lot of work. Oh, yeah. It's a ton of work and work, working with interns um, if you do it right. If you do it right, it's by far much more work than than they'd ever be able to produce for you, mm-hmm. um, because you have to. The way that I view it is is it has to be a learning experience. Not only do they gain experience, but they have to learn. Um, and you know, when when and when interns come in to work with me, they're at all different levels. Mm-hmm. I mean, typically, and so they may be really advanced in social media. But they have absolutely no ability to write a paragraph, you know. Or they might be really great writers, but they have no idea what an Insta, Insta, Twitter, whatever is. Yeah, they also don't always know how to use it in the business world. Well, and that's a huge part of it. Yeah, yeah. Biz, business decorum and what is appropriate, what isn't appropriate, yeah. and so all of that kind of has to be has to be taught, um, you know. But what I have what I have found is that the more energy you put into them, the the better the results. The results. I would agree with that. Absolutely. So that's uh, those are two good what I learns. I appreciate that. I know we're getting close to the end of where we're supposed to be. We really don't have an hour. We really have 50 minutes because there's another show that comes in behind us. Mm. So we want to be able to give a, uh, a little shout out for one of our other sponsors. Yes, and that sponsor is Affiliate Manager. Affiliate Manager offers a complete management service that covers all aspects of developing and optimizing an affiliate program. Not only do we provide expertise, identify high potential opportunities, and execute campaigns to maximize performance, we make it a point to require minimal work from our merchant partners. You can reach them at affiliatemanager.com. Thank you, Affiliate Manager, for sponsoring the Intern Whisper Live. So um, we're going to be wrapping up here. And so I know that we talked about the uh, what I learned, and I didn't forget. There's one more thing. Um, you have a lot of students that come through uh, in your campus and in your podcast. Do you have any students that work with you on your podcast? I currently we do not. No, we've had we've had a couple of interns in the past. We currently are looking for interns mm-hmm. um, to work on on the show. You know, uh, they have a program here where you can I get do. them. Yeah, I do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so it's not something that we've we've aggressively uh, recruited for, but but we do have internships available on Teaching Change, um, and we would love to uh, to meet some folks to do yep. that. So, one of the things that I was invited to do was go and speak, and I honestly cannot remember the instructor's name. It's a woman. She teaches here. It was a teaching podcast, and I was showing the students how to set up their show notes. And talking to them about what's involved with being able to set up a, a podcast from a business perspective. Mm-hmm. And there were things that they had no clue how to do. So setting this up is like a, a system. Do you have a system already in that um, business side of your podcast? Yes and no. So that would be the first place I would recommend that you get a student involved is to help document that. That's really where Jerron and also Val have been hugely instrumental. Um, Why don't you guys tell him what it is that you did in the beginning when we were starting the show? We'll start with you, Jerron. Sure. Um, At least my basic priorities, at least when it comes to setting the show, I guess just every week in general, would be usually to make sure I contact the guests first of all. 
Um, I, as I told you, when you came through the door, I'm sorry if I blew up your phone a lot, just <laughs> call to make sure you're coming. Yeah. But it's yeah, really no. just about confirming the guests, first of all. Because mm-hmm. first of all, I mean, you can have a show, of course, between just the two of us because, you know, the uh, audience still wants to hear our opinions, but the guest always helps make the show. So we want to make sure you come for sure. So that's mm-hmm. always like my main thing at first. So we had to create scripted messages, mm-hmm. right? And we had to create a process mm-hmm. of, you know, being able to contact them. We had to create show notes. We had to create our guest calendar. And then we were, we've worked on, although we have not formally monetized our show, we're in that process and we have a strategy to be able to monetize. That's great. Yeah. So, and then what have you learned, Val? Because you were the second one in here. Yeah. So when I came, a lot of it was already established because Jerron and Isabella had already hashed out so much of what we still use. So I came in at a time where we were kind of updating everything that we were using. So like, I remember the biggest thing for us was like the direction sheet. Because I remember I got the direction sheet on how to get here. I don't know if you you didn't have to use that because you know where you're going. But for most people who have no idea where this is, like I remember that it was kind of confusing. Then we updated that, and then updating uh, our questions, to, our leadership, mm-hmm. questions, yeah, our leadership right? questions, and just a lot of different ch- small changes. It, it, it's the main thing I would say that I've learned is that a lot of small changes end up at a big difference. So one of the biggest things is that you added the graphics. So oh yeah, also, that was a big thing that I wanted to yeah. do was add more graphics to the show because we had a lot of static shots and. We want everything to be more interesting, so we, you know, adding more graphics stuff to production value, making sure that um, our, I want to say, like our relationship to the guest is more important because mm-hmm. we want them to also guest be, experience, yeah, guest experience be as best as it possibly can. So, mm-hmm. you know, working on that, just a lot of things, and I, you know, there's always something that could be better. So, mm-hmm. just looking for that, and trying yeah. to improve. I mean, on there. just doing the show itself, we realize our faults, and then we know how to improve yeah. going forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. yeah. No, it's yeah. it's great. I mean, it's great. I uh, I appreciated the the several phone calls, uh, <laughs> and I, I wish I had realized that that um, that uh, I should have. I wish I would have realized that all you needed was a call back to say yes, I'm coming. I just I assumed that you were just letting, making sure that you know I was. I was on my way or I was going to be there. No, if so, anything, it's like it helps you know. me be, be more clear in the future. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. So now you know that you need to say, hey, please call me back. Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, I was just like, all right, you're cool. I'm, I'm, go- I'm going. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But no, I mean, I appreciate it. I thought it was really cool. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's certainly been a, a fun time uh, here. I mean, this this kind of work is such a labor of love. It's, it's, it's so complicated. Yeah. Um, I mean, what you hear on the other end is oftentimes, you know, really polished and you don't realize how much work goes into putting something like this together. I mean, in the hours, you know, for every hour of programming, there's, there's countless hours that mm. go into to, to creating it. Um, and then to do it live, that's, it's only my second time being live, um, in, in recent history. And so, uh, all of my shows are, are recorded and, and most of the time recorded at least two or three weeks ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So, so this live, uh, this live business is scary. Yeah. Oh. Oh, live is. is especially challenging <laughs> because you have a very set schedule. You have to be on by yeah. your scheduled time. If you're not on a lot and of you people. never know what technical difficulties you might have. Yeah. yeah. As, yeah. as was yeah. today. But. Yeah. yeah, but we worked through it. We worked we through did. it. Yeah, you get through it. Yeah. I think one of the nice things about doing it live, though, is that um, so I have I tend to sometimes be a perfectionist, and so because it's a recorded show, I can labor over getting everything exactly the way I want. Putting it. those little sounds, everything. Yes, it. yes, mm-hmm. and and sometimes I get carried away with that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and so going, you know, being live, like once it's done, it's it's done. It's out there. It's, not much you can do, mm-hmm. uh, which is that there's a little, I guess, a little bit of freedom in that. But it is, yeah. it's scary. I got to give you hats off to you all because uh, 
live is 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 wild oh it is oh, we yeah. like it well i know we have to i'm going to give a special shout out to valencia college we always love being in this studio we want to thank q for being our um manager here at the station and then i want to give my shout outs to all of my my listeners but also to the guys that are in the room with me that make all of this magic happen and to all of the rest of my piv pivotopians and interim pursuit people so they all know who they are but man i am grateful for every single one of them pivotopians i like that i know yeah. pivotopians. Yeah. that's yeah. tyler edlin he yeah. he coined that phrase I like so that phrase. i think we're going back over here what are your shout outs oh well for me uh, just thank you to all of our listeners thank you to isabel for having us and also thank you jerry for being such a great guest it's mm -hmm. fun Cool. Having a great time as always. So. Mm -hmm. As always, thank you, Isabella. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jared, for coming to the show. I won't blow up your phone next time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and thank you, of course, to my family as always. And Darlene can join us tonight, but I'm sure she'll watch um, oh, afterwards. I bet she will. <laughs> I bet she will. Uh, so. Any shouts for you, Jared? Yeah, well, I'd love to give a, a shout out to my beautiful wife, Deanna Calake of Powerfully Productive. <laughs> um, also, my three children, Uriah Jack, uh, Raleigh Michael, and Valen Flora, um, who uh, I told well I was going to be on the radio, but I, I think they probably went to the FM dial because um, I did not see them on Facebook. Although none of them obviously have Facebook um, or any social media. No, yet it would have been mom doing too that. little. <laughs> but um, but I'm sure they'll catch the uh, the video. So shout out to them, uh, and then shout out to all the great folks at Valencia uh, for all the work that they've been doing, um, guiding and developing the social entrepreneurship program. Cool. All right. So. So yeah, wrap the show up just wrap like it we up. end up. Um, so. When I point at you, just say your name. So this has been Val. This has been Jerron. This is Isabella. This is Jared. And thank you for joining us for the Intern Whisperer Live. We'll see you next time. Bye.